0: Isn't it exciting when new life comes into a family by way of the birth of a baby? Amen? Isn't that exciting? Likewise, as we celebrate today, it's also exciting when new life comes into the kingdom by rebirth, or being, as Jesus says in the Bible, born again. When a baby is born into a family, our hope is that that baby will grow up to be healthy and beautiful and strong. And likewise, when a person is reborn into the kingdom and the family of God, our hope and prayer is that that person will grow to be beautiful and healthy and strong in their faith and in the Spirit. I want you to listen to uh, some Bible verses that speak about this expectation of health and growth. For you and I, as believers in Christ, for example, in Jude in the New Testament, verse 20 and 21, it tells us to build yourself up in the faith. Build up, grow up. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says that we're to go and make disciples or followers or converts to bring people to faith in Christ. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, use your gift to serve others, to bring them into the family of God. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us to speak the truth in love so that the church will grow and become not only more numerically large, but more uh, spiritually large and mature as we go along as well. At Ridgecrest Baptist Church, we've adopted... A mission statement. You see it at the top of your bulletin every Sunday. It's on the screen behind me. I'd like to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read this together. Uh, I hope that you've read it enough where it's very familiar. I would encourage you, if you've not done so, to memorize this very brief yet all-important statement of who we are at Ridgecrest Baptist Church so that if, for example, you ever wonder, what in the world is church all about to start with? Why are we here? Why do we do what we do here? And it is that we might glorify God by leading people to follow Jesus. So would you read that statement with me? Ready? Here we go. To glorify God by leading people to follow Jesus. Now stay standing if you would. This is our mission and our mission statement. We don't take it lightly. We didn't just sit around a table and try to come up with something that sounded catchy. We wanted to be biblical and biblically accurate for the church. Now, in addition to adopting this statement as our mission statement of who we are and what we do, we've also adopted a four part strategy to carry out our mission statement. And those four parts are, are put into four different words. And you also see this represented in our church logo. You thought we were just trying to copy Microsoft Works. That's not what we were doing at all. We're trying to, to, to enumerate and to share who we are. We, our strategy is to connect, to grow, to serve, and to go. Would you say those four words with me? Connect, grow, serve, and go. Now, for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about one of these strategy words, and the word is grow. We're going to focus on grow for the next several weeks. And our theme passage is going to be from 2 Peter chapter 3. You may have that on your Bible or on your cell phone or your tablet. You may have memorized it, whatever the case is, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Today, we're going to look at verses 14 and 17 and 18. And you'll see them on the screen. I want to read the first two verses for you. And I want to invite you to join with me in reading verse number 18. I'll pause and you'll see it on the screen. Verse 18 is our theme verse, not just for today, but for the next several weeks. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 14, believers, you and I, are encouraged this way. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Verse 18 together, would you read it with me? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, today may we as always seek to glorify you and lift up your name. May we today as always seek to grow in our relationship with you, that it might change our lives and then that you might change the world through our lives for your glory, for your sake, for your kingdom. Our blessing and our peace, our forgiveness of sin, and our eternal life as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Now, in your listening guide, I've put a couple of key phrases in, in, uh, on the outline for you this morning. I want to point out a couple of important pieces to this Bible verse that you still see on the screen there, verse 18, that we're going to be looking at today. And this, In fact, this passage of Scripture I've just read for you. I want you to notice there in verse 18, I want you to notice our purpose. The purpose of this passage, the purpose of these verses, the purpose of growing in our relationship with Christ is that we might glorify Jesus. That we might glorify Jesus. I'm to let that sink in just for a second. Because here we see in the Bible just one of many places that lays the foundation for who we are as a church. If you will remember our mission statement, we exist to glorify God. That's why we're here. And so here in 2 Peter 3.18, we see the purpose is that we might glorify Jesus. Then we also see a process laid out for us there in verse 18. And the process is that we might grow in his grace and his knowledge. Our process given to us by the Bible and then carried out in the local church as we seek to connect, grow, serve, and go, the grow part is so vitally important. And the grow there, if you were to look at the original language, this was written in the language of Greek, you'll you'll notice that this is a present tense, continual tense, which means in essence that, that it's saying here, continually grow. In the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't just say, I went to vacation Bible school when I was 10. I went to Sunday school when I was 15. And I've been going to church uh, for many years. But, but, but I, I learned a lot of things in the past. But be able to say that today, I am growing in my faith. In my knowledge of Christ. In my relationship with Christ. So that's our process that we see there continually grow. But then also notice in verse 17, there's a danger. A danger for you and I as believers. And the danger is instability. And what do you mean by instability? Simply this. That there are those forces... That if we're not careful to guard ourselves and to take proactive measures, there are forces out there that seek to destabilize you and I as Christians. There are forces out there that seek, if you will, to knock us off of our foundation and draw us back into evil and darkness of sin. There are forces out there that seek to, to knock us out, if you will. There in verse 17, it says, Knowing this beforehand, take care... That you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and as a result, lose your own stability. Losing stability is a danger for you and I as believers in Christ. As we celebrate baptism today, the entering into the Christian life, the the profession of faith for a believer, we want to be very careful to celebrate but also very careful to elaborate and make sure that people, you and I, and, and those just baptized, that they know that there are forces out there that are working against us. Now, the good news is, we also have a force that's within us that's greater than any force out there trying to destabilize us. But if we're not careful, we can give in to those forces. And so, so with that danger, I want you to notice the danger comes from people with error. It says it very plainly in verse 17. Those with error, they're they, they they are off in their judgment. They're off in their authority. They're off in their teaching. They teach differently than what the Bible says. But not only are they with error, but they are without authority. They're lawless. They're not under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not under under any authority that, that would hold them to the truth of the gospel. So if we're not careful, these forces that are out there full of error and not under God's authority can seek to knock us off of our foundation of faith and carry us away. Now, continually growing in our faith will stabilize us. How do we avoid instability in our faith? And and let's be honest. Can we just be honest this morning? Can we do that? Say amen if we can be honest this morning. If we're being honest, we would all admit that there have been at least times and seasons of our life where our Christian faith has grown unstable. We've given in to what we've come to know as the error. We've given in to something that, that, was, that was not under the authority of Christ. We've given ourselves over to that, whether by an action, by a thought, by, by, in our spiritual sense. We, we find ourselves, in fact, some today, no doubt, are here. You're feeling a sense of spiritual instability because you've given yourself over in some form or fashion to error or lawlessness that has destabilized your faith. Now, I'm just going to tell you my personal opinion. I believe there's a lot of that going around today. As I look at the spiritual landscape across our nation, as I hear the statistics coming in from churches that are are declining and churches that are are struggling and churches that have lost their way in the things that they're teaching, it amazes me sometimes how far away, even churches, so-called Christian churches, how far away they're getting away from the truth of the Bible. It's not that they disagree with me, they're disagreeing with the Bible. And so so we live in that kind of a world today where we're called to be careful and to be mindful and to continually make sure that we are growing in grace and growing in knowledge. Somebody said the Christian faith is like riding a bicycle. As long as you're moving forward, everything's fine. But when you come to a standstill, you fall over. And it's the same thing is true in our faith. We have to continually be moving forward. So I want to ask a question today. How can I glorify Jesus... And maintain spiritual stability. How can I do that? That's a question I have. And if I have that question, no doubt you have that question too. Amen? No doubt you have that question too. Amen? Amen. You're wondering, how can I be stable in my faith and grow in my faith? You're wondering that as you walked in this morning. Am I right? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> the answer is, we grow continually in our faith i want to take just a few minutes this morning and, and introduce you to this theme that we'll be looking at for the next several weeks and introduce you to a, a way and a pattern that you and I can engage in growth, growing in our faith. G-R-O-W. Notice the words underneath there. Uh, gather, renew, observe, and worship. I want to encourage you starting today to to remind you if you're already doing this, to encourage you if you've not been doing this, to make sure that, that you are going to commit yourself to growing as a believer by gathering, renewing, observing, and worshiping. And you're thinking, what does that mean? Let's take a few minutes this morning and let's talk about it. I've got till 2 o'clock before I have another appointment, so I will get you out before 2 o'clock. It'll be significantly before 2, but we'll, we'll get you out before 2 o'clock. Notice the first letter there in your listening guide as well as on the screen. The first letter is the word G, and that's going to stand for gather. It is vitally important for you and I together, both of us, individually and together, that we gather together with other believers on a regular basis If we're going to grow in our faith and maintain a spiritual stability. Gathering is a must. Not just because I'm saying it. Scripture teaches it and experience uh, demonstrates it as well. I want you to notice in the Old Testament, there are too many scriptures to to point out, but in the Old Testament, time and time again, God commands His people to gather together. There were certain feasts. There were certain holidays. There was the weekly gathering on the Sabbath. There were many times God commanded His people to come together and to worship Him. And so, so it's important to know that's all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the church is called to meet together regularly in order to promote the growth of the church. The numerical growth, yes, but more importantly, the, the, the spiritual maturing growth that will lead to a numerical growth. Numerical growth should be the, the output of those who are growing in their faith and in their knowledge of Christ. I want you to listen to some Bible verses that compel us to gather. For example, Psalm 100 in verse 2 says, "Come into His presence with singing. Come into His presence." Now, that could be individually as you spend your time with the Lord day in and day out, but it also applies to us together as believers to gather together with singing that we might praise Him. Hasn't the music today been awesome? I love the music today. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Hubert. Thank you for for all of you that participated in that today. And as we end on a great great song as well, just know that there's, there's a coming together and there's a singing that goes with that that helps us to grow in our faith. Whether it's a, a, a new psalm that you've never heard before or a hymn of the faith that's been around for generations and hundreds of years, the content of the words has, has for, for all of history, encouraged those who call on Christ to grow in their faith, to be able to say it, to sing it, to repeat it. But we do that as we gather together as well. Psalm 150 and verse number 1 says, Praise God. In his sanctuary. There's a sense of coming together that we might worship God in the place uh, of his sanctuary. Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament tells us day by day, this is the new church, attending the temple together, they gathered and they went to church. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who are being saved. The new church, after the resurrection of Christ, they gathered and they worshiped together. There's something about being together that is spiritually encouraging. In Hebrews chapter 10, speaking to believers, it says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, we know it's a Baptist church because they were all stirred up with each other, right? (laughs) But notice this. Consider how to stir up one another to love. That's what a true Baptist church says stir each other up to love and good works number verse 25 not neglecting to meet together Not neglecting to get together. Not neglecting to to come together as as the body of Christ, whether it's on a Sunday to worship or a special holiday of the year or, or in a home during the... Whenever it is, don't neglect that. Why should we not neglect that? Because if we neglect the gathering together, then we're setting ourselves up to be compromised by error and lawlessness leading to spiritual instability. There's something important about gathering together that God makes clear in His Word the Bible. So if we want to grow and we want to be stable in our faith, we must get together. R, I want you to notice the letter R stands for renew. Renew our minds. That's what that, that renewing stands for. To renew. I want you to listen to the words of, of uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 says this Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So two parts right up front. Number one, don't be conformed to the world. The world has the error in it. The world has lawlessness in it. The world has, has those forces that are seeking to pull you away from that. So don't be conformed to that. Instead, it says, be transformed. And how is it that we are to be transformed? By the renewal of your mind. Say that with me. Renewal... Of your mind, well, what does it mean to renew your mind? let's talk about that just for a second. It really is a very simple concept. To renew your mind means to make your mind new again. It, it all goes back to the concept of, of, of going to, to school. Now now, the way I understand it, if you haven't started school already, school starts tomorrow. Amen, t- uh, students? <laughs> yeah <all right. laughs> I thought, I thought that's what your response would be. But but when you go to school tomorrow, there are going to be all kinds of eager teachers waiting for you. Amen, teachers. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, honey. You speak for all the masses that, that were silent. And then there are all those parents that are just heartbroken that they're going to send their kids off to school. Amen, parents. Amen. <laughs> now. Here's what's going to happen at school. Whether you're in kindergarten or fifth grade or high school or if you're going to college, any school whatsoever, you have this process of renewing your mind. How does that work? Well, first of all, you have to make your mind new. You read something or you hear something in a lecture or a presentation. You've never heard it before. It's brand new to you. And so as you hear it, if you're a good student, you write it down and you take notes If you're a good teacher, not only do you share it the first time, but you share it a second time and a third time. And so if you're a student and you're learning, you might hear it from your teacher, you might read it in a book, you write it down and take notes, and then you may watch a a film or a video about it, you may see something online about it, any number of ways to take that new information, put it into your mind, and then to make it new again multiple times so that you can not only renew it, but remember it. Because there's a test coming. Amen? There's a test coming. So, so the whole process, we know what it's like in school. And if we're honest, we know the drudgery of what that's like in school. But hopefully in the spiritual realm, in the Christian realm, there should be a joy to that. A joy that says, there are things in the Bible that, that are new to me. I've never heard them before. So as I read the Bible I make note of it. As I hear a sermon on a Sunday morning, I want to make note of it. And I want to take notes and write it down. As I go to my connect group, I hear things and I want to remember them and write them down. As your kids go to Awana or your teenagers go to the youth or as you come to, to the engaged group that I lead on Wednesday nights, any number of different things. And as you read your Bible yourself during the, during the week, as you encounter new material, hopefully you soak it in and you want to remember it so you write it down. Now, they say, I don't know who they is, but they say you have to encounter something how many times before you remember it? you anybody know? Three. That works for you, three? Seven? Any other numbers out there? I've always heard seven. Now, Greg's a lot smarter than I am, so he gets it on three. That's good. Susan's saying, uh-uh, That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyway, you have to hear something and repeat it seven times for it to sink in. And so that's just an encouragement to us that that we need to, we need to, we must, because we want to grow in our faith. Make that faith, make that knowledge, make that information new, and then we renew it, and then we go over it and over it and over it so that it becomes not only part of our mind, but part of our heart to be lived out in our lives. And that's when it makes a difference. I know I've done different things over the years to help me remember Scripture. I've taken note cards and I'll write down a verse of Scripture on the note card, and I'll stick it in my pocket or my daytimer, or I'll put it, you know, on, on the dash of my car or on my dresser or on my desk at work, and I'll just, throughout the day, while I'm trying to, to remember or memorize a verse of Scripture, just periodically, I'll pick it up, I'll look at it, I'll close my eyes, not while I'm driving, of course, I'll close my eyes, and I'll try to say the verse, you know, without, without uh, having to look at it, and I'll try to let it sink in, and I'll get, to, I'll get to a certain point, and then I'll get another verse, and another verse, and another verse, and a passage, and while I may not be able to go back at any given moment and quote any of the verses I've been learning, what I find is over time they sink in and they make a difference. And it begins to affect my life. It begins to affect my my thinking. It begins to affect my actions. It begins to affect my talking. It it begins to affect how I interact with other people. And and people begin to notice the difference that it's making. And sometimes they'll say something uh, about it, either that you have manners or courtesy, or or that you're you're serving in the name of Jesus, or you're telling somebody something about Christ, or you encounter somebody somewhere, and you just find yourself telling your story about how you came to know Jesus as your Savior. And you, you think to yourself, I've done this, and I've talked to others who have too. You think, you yourself, wow, where'd that come from? Well, the, the ability to do that comes from renewing your mind on a regular basis of reading and rereading and thinking about and, and making it real in your life. So, so we renew uh, our minds. And notice in this verse, I want to read it for you again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then it says there are three benefits to renewing our mind. Let me me tell you what they are. The first is being transformed, transformation. We've already mentioned that one. You become something different than what you are. When you renew your mind, you become transformed into something that you were not previously. That's a great blessing. And then it goes on to say that by testing, and there's a second one. You may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first benefit is transformation. The second is spiritual victory. And the spiritual victory comes by way of testing. Your faith is tested regularly. Can anybody say amen to that? Teachers, tomorrow your faith will be tested regularly. Amen? When you go to work tomorrow in your job, your faith will be tested. Amen? Isn't that right? When you talk to certain people... And you know who they are. You don't have to call their name. But when you talk to certain people, your faith is tested regularly. Amen? Isn't that right? When you encounter certain situations, just you in your heart, you're tested regularly, aren't you? I am too. And so when those tests come, the spiritual victory comes because we've been renewing our minds. And we're now ready to face that test. And there are tests that we know. You know, I, I, here's what I, I, I love the teachers in school that would say something like this. Tomorrow, we're going to have a pop quiz. Teachers, I love you when you say that. You know why? Because for the first time, I'm going to look at the material so I can be ready for the pop quiz tomorrow, right? I know it's coming. The teachers that I did not like at all We're teachers who you walk in and you sit down and they say, get out a piece of paper and write down from 1 to 10, we're having a pop quiz unannounced. That's not good, teachers. I just want to tell you that's not good. In life, most of the tests and the spiritual battle that you and I face are unannounced. And so it behooves us to make sure that on a regular basis, we are renewing our minds so that when that test comes, there can be a spiritual victory. So the first benefit of that transformation, the second is spiritual victory, and the third is uh, uh, discerning God's will, that you may be able to discern the good and perfect purpose and will of God for your life. You ever been at a crossroads? (laughs) You ever been at a crossroads? Just me? That's okay, I'm the only one. A crossroads you got to make a decision. Do I go this way or that way? Do I do I take this job or that job? Do I do I go to this school or that school? Do I do I study or go to the ball game? Do I you know all these different different crossroads of life that we face. Do I give in to this temptation or do I stay true to my faith? If I stay true to my faith, I'm going to be ridiculed by those who are tempting me. If I give in to the temptation, I'm going to to, to be to be I'm going to violate my my spiritual convictions. Crossroads. How do we know what to do at the crossroads? Renewing our minds allows us to get to those crossroads of life that we all face all the time and know what to do, to be able to discern, to know, to have knowledge of, to have the leadership of God's Spirit, to to, to to be able to discern the good and perfect will of God. In this circumstance that I'm in, I may have six options. Lord, help me to know which one is yours, which one is best. Sometimes it's a clear choice between good and evil, and we know the right choice. It's just a matter of making the right choice. But sometimes the crossroads is a matter of something that's good over here and good over here. Which one is God's will for me? Renewing our minds on a regular basis puts us in a position to be able to know what God's will is. And so, so when we do that by studying His Word, we will become much more spiritually stable and mature. And be able to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. G, gather. R, renew. O is observe. Observe. If you and I are going to be stable in our faith, if we're going to be victorious in our faith, if we're going to be growing in our faith, and be able to renew our minds, then we've got to observe what the Bible says. I want you to to notice what it means to observe. Because to observe on one hand means to see, to watch. But on the other hand, it means to do. And so there's a sense of in our Christian life where, where we're to observe what God's Word says. And on one hand, we observe it in others. For example, you may have a, uh, somebody who, who is a Christian that you kind of look to as a role model. It might be in your connect group. It might be, uh, if, you, if you're in the choir, it might be somebody in the choir. It might be somebody who, who uh, works with you that's a Christian. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be any number of people might serve as a role model. And so you observe them in their faith... And it encourages you in your faith. And then we also observe by looking at what the Bible actually says as we read it. Maybe you're doing the reading plan that we've been promoting for this year, reading through the New Testament in a year by reading one chapter a day, five days a week. You'll see the plan on the bottom of your listening guide. Every week we put it there. So maybe you're doing the reading plan and you observe what it says. And that's a, that, both of those are ways to observe, but they're more surface of observation. There's a more in-depth observation that the Bible talks about which puts our seeing into action. We see it and then secondly, we do it. We take what God's Word says and we apply it in our hearts. We apply it in our lives. I want you to listen to, to, what, to some scriptures that talk about applying what the Bible says to our lives. For example, Psalm 119 and verse 34 is a prayer and it says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law And observe it with my whole heart. To observe the law of God, which means to not only look at it, but to do what it says. It's a prayer that says, Lord, help me to do what your word says. Help me to do more than just look at it on a page. Help me to put it into practice in my life. Psalm 119, verse 146. It says, I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. Lord, help me to see how you testify. Help me to see what your word says. Help me not only to see it with my eyes, but to do it with my life. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And what a great encouragement on a couple of ways. One is it encourages us to see what the Lord is doing that we might follow him. Secondly, it reminds us to set the example that others may see our example and follow us. Follow me as I follow Jesus, is what Paul says in the New Testament. In Matthew 28, 20, just before Jesus ascends up into heaven, after he was raised from the dead, he's talking to his followers. And he says there in verse 20, Teach these new people, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them to do the things, to to see the things and to do the things. Observe it with your eyes and apply it with your life that you might come to know all that I have called you to do. And then we have a great example of this in in the book of James in the New Testament. In the book of James chapter 1, James writes these words. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's a sermon right there, isn't it? Ponder that for a while. that'll help you right there. Verse 20: "For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God." Well, there's another good sermon right there. All right, we'll get to that after a while. Verse 21: "Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." Now, do you notice in these Bible verses that I'm reading from James, there are instructions there. The instructions, as we, as we observe these instructions, we observe them this way. On the surface level, what does it say? And then on a deeper level, what does it mean for me? How should this impact my life? And then in verse 22, it, go, it puts it in perspective. Be doers of the word. This is the word of God. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. And so to observe God's word is to apply it to our lives. Now, can I get real personal for a minute? Is that okay? Say yes if it's okay. All right, thank you. To observe God's law and apply it to our life a hundred times out of a hundred means there's got to be some adjustments made. It means as I read, if I read something that I'm doing that the Scripture compels me not to do, I've got to make some adjustment. I've got to make a choice. Am I going to do what the Scripture says? Am I going to... It, it, it says, you know, don't speak filthy language. We just read that out of James chapter 1. So as I read that, and if I find myself speaking filthy language, am I going to apply it to my life? If so, I've got to make some adjustments and not do the things the Bible tells me not to do. That's called repentance. And repentance sometimes comes with conviction. And conviction is a beautiful word because that is God's spirit confirming God's word that we're observing in our mind and seeking to apply to our lives. And while it might be really prickly when it hits, it produces really beautiful results. And so on the one hand, I may need to repent in making some adjustments in my life. On the other hand, I may need to make some adjustments along the lines of starting to do some things I have not been doing. Maybe it's spending more time with God more consistently, determining to renew my mind on a more regular basis, recognizing that I've been knocked off of my stability through this error and that error because I've not been focusing on my Lord. So adjustments oftentimes have to be made in this time of of observation. But notice, if we want to... Gain spiritual maturity, and grow in our knowledge, and be more stable in our faith. We've got to observe at a surface and a deeper level what God's word says. Now, one last one last letter on the home stretch here. W stands for worship. W stands for worship. I I, I told you last week that during our sabbatical, Pam and I were in seven different churches. We worshiped in seven places that we normally don't worship. We got a firsthand experience of being in a crowd of people that we didn't normally, we didn't go to church with. And we, we got that whole first-time visitor experience week after week after week. And we, we understood that. And then what may some, maybe some of you feel even today coming to Ridgecrest or what you may have felt in other places and as you've come in here too. So, so we, we've understood that. Outside of, of, of the, the, the newness of going these places, we have each had a wonderful renewal of our own worship experiences. And it's been amazing. I've been reading several books. One of them I mentioned at the beginning of this service, How to Worship Jesus Christ by Joseph Carroll. And, and the compulsion there to orient my life... As a worship of God. To to make sure that that, that worship is not something that I simply attend. If if my worship experience is simply attending, that's better than not attending, but it's nowhere close to what God has for me. And for me personally, if I'm just going to be honest with you, I I had to confront and repent and adjust making sure that my approach to worship is not just something I'm standing here and leading, but something that I'm personally experiencing during the week and on Sundays. And coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I I don't want to simply stand up and talk to other people. I want you to speak to me through the music, through the, the encounters with people, through your word. And I've had a great time these last several weeks of renewing my worship experience with the Lord and it's a reminder to me, as it should be hopefully a reminder to you. We have to make sure that our worship is where it's supposed to be on a personal level and also by being a part of a worshiping church. You know, I've heard it said before and I've read this. Many people view worship as theater. And here's what I mean by that they picture the whole theatrical experience. And in a, in a theater, you've got the audience, you've got the performer. And off to the side, you've got the prompter. You often don't see the prompter. The prompter is making sure the person on the stage remembers their lines. So those three. Most people have this view of worship. That the congregation is the audience. And that the pastor is the performer on the stage. And that God is off to the side prompting the pastor. And that the pastor is performing for the people. And that is completely wrong. Worship is theater, yes, but in true worship, God is the audience. The pastor is the prompter and the congregation are the performers. So that as you worship God, he is sitting back and he's, he's watching you not to make sure that everything is perfect and that you do everything just right. No, he's looking for your heart. He's looking for, for you to engage with him. He's looking for you to, to please him. He's looking for you to serve him. He's looking for you to sing praises to him. And he wants he's waiting and wanting to give you not just an applause, but a standing ovation and for a tear to come out of his eye and say, that's my child. That's the one who's worshiping me. And listen, if we'll get a hold of that, it can change our worship, can it not? Listen to some Bible verses about worship. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, or give to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness this compulsion this call to worship and and lately i'm just going to be honest with you lately i have been been seeing with fresh eyes all the different places in scripture we're called to worship him and to glorify him and and, and it's it's been a, a great help and a renewal for me in these recent days listen to the words of psalm 34 i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the lord Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. This call that says, come, let's get together and worship the Lord. Let's exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? Write that down and remember that. Psalm 34, verse 5. No, I'm sorry, verse 4. I sought the Lord, He answered me, and delivered me. That's a great verse of Scripture. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man and the woman and the boy and the girl who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 63 of his desire to kind of reconnect with God and worship. And maybe this exhibits maybe where you are today. Uh, in Psalm 63, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life," My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as, long as you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you and meditate upon you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. I love that. Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you to you O God and perhaps my favorite worship psalm Psalm 150 now we're in a Baptist church but this is what the Bible says okay I know it's going to go against what some of you were brought up believing Psalm 150 praise the Lord praise God in his sanctuary praise him in his mighty heavens read that with me would you do that praise the Lord praise God in his sanctuary praise him in his mighty heavens that's good Verse 2 says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet, the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. That really is in the Bible. You're supposed to dance when you worship. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And read that last line with me, ready? Praise the Lord. That's what we should be doing. That's what worship is. It's praise. It's honor. It's glory. It's coming to God, recognizing our spiritual poverty and saying, Lord, we, we long for you. And Lord, the Lord promises to meet us in that place. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. If we want to glorify Jesus and continually grow and be stable in our faith, we must worship God. And I pray it's more than something we attend but something that is a regular part of who we are. You want to do something really nervous, really awkward, if you've not done it before? Just spend some time with the Lord. Just you and the Lord. Get alone by yourself in a closet, under a tree, out by yourself somewhere, and just begin to to, to repeat and to to read some Psalms and to look up to the Lord. And if you're not used to doing it, raise your hands to the Lord and just spend some time praying and praising that way. It's, It's amazing what can happen. When we determine that that's what we're going to do. And not just by yourself, but when you come together as a church also. I want, to, I want to encourage you today. Guys, come on up here for our last song, if you would. I want to encourage you today to determine to grow, to determine to step forward in your, in your spiritual life. That wherever you are, I want to encourage you today that, that you will say to yourself and you'll say to the Lord, Lord, I want to grow, I want to be stable. I want to be strong I want to be growing and so Lord today I want to give myself to you and and I want to to commit to gather with other believers whatever that looks like I want to commit to renewing my mind on a regular basis and and going over and to thinking about what your word says Lord, I want to commit to observing what your law says what your word says by watching others and then doing it myself and then letting other people see me live it out and Lord, I want to worship. I want to worship. I want to, to be in your presence. I want to, to, to sing praises to your name. I want my heart to be, to be longing and thirsting for you. And I want it to, to be satisfied by you, Lord. And I want to be able to, to, to raise my hands and clap my hands and, 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 and do whatever you've called me to do so that I might acknowledge who you are. I was reading recently about worship, and the point was made that, that, that in the church today, collectively, There's so little genuine worship of God because there's so little uh, uh, recognition of who God is. And I believe that's very true. And I want that to change in my life. And I want it to change in your life. And I want it to change in our life. What does that look like, Pastor Mark? It's like a bunch of people who love Jesus. That's what it looks like. So today, I wonder if you'd be willing to say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow. And I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't pause for just a second and say this point: You're never going to be in a position to grow in your faith until you first establish your faith. The, the men and women you saw baptized today were professing that there was a turning point in their life where they made faith their own. They weren't just an attender. They weren't just, you know peripherally on the outside. They weren't just going through the motions but that Jesus became real to them. They, said, they, they were able to say to the Lord, Lord, I know that you love me and you made me in your image, but Lord, I know that I've sinned against you like everybody else who's ever lived. I have violated the laws of God and I'm under the, the judgment and the wrath of God for my sins. But God, I know that even when I was at my worst, you still loved me so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, into the world who died in my place and died for my sins and on the third day was raised from the dead that I might have eternal life it's not enough just to hear it or even to know it but you've got to believe it and I wonder this morning I can't help but think in a a, a room this size there's there's one or two or five or ten or twenty people who've never come to that place in their life and I want to tell you today can be that day today can be that day when you can can begin to grow, you can begin to to, to be all that God has called you to be, where, where you can go from darkness to light, from being the enemy of God, to being in the family of God, from being at odds with God, to being a friend of God, by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And just before we conclude the service, I wonder right now, if everybody would just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here today, and you never have established that relationship with God, and you would like to do that right now, I want to invite you to pray in your heart in sincerity to God, inwardly, as I say a prayer outwardly. You can repeat the words I say. It's not a magic formula, but in repeating these words sincerely to God, on the authority of the Bible, the Lord promises to forgive sins, save souls, and grant eternal life to all who will believe. Do you pray along these lines? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And I come before you right now, Lord, and I agree with you that I have sinned and I have broken your commandments and I deserve your punishment. But I believe, Lord, Lord, that you came into the world and you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross as my substitute. And I believe, Jesus, that you took my place there on the cross. And I believe that you were buried and with you my sins were buried. And I believe on the third day you were raised. And right now, Jesus, with all I know how, I invite you to come into my heart, to forgive my sins, to be with me forever, and take me to heaven one day. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.